So the White House kicked their dog out of the Oval Office this week. Apparently, they needed the cage at the border. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. A very ruthless beginning from you, Smug. I mean, the dog has been through a lot. I'll give it that. This is the same dog, to my understanding, that <clears throat> when Biden like injured his foot or something <laughs> last year, and people were like, how'd you hurt your foot? And he was like, well, you see, I jumped out of the shower naked and uh, grabbed my dog and pulled its tail and it, it freaked out. It's like, I yeah, for- <laughs> I forgot about this. So the, that's the same dog. The dog wanted to go, dude. Honestly, the dog wants to die. It's like, imagine having seen Joe Biden jump out of a shower, lunge at you, start pulling on your body parts. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think you'd want to hang around. Listen, I, I feel like that dog would rather be strapped to Mitt Romney's roof than hang around the Bidens any longer. Seriously, that dog needs a book deal. What have you seen, dog? What's oh. going on over there? Wow. Well, I didn't know we were going to start with that, but that really is something. Um, let me give you a little, a little taste of what's to come. We have a massive interview with Megyn Kelly today. Who Outstanding. Is just as, as wonderful as ever. Um, What's really neat about her, I've been a fan of hers for years, obviously, but she's totally unplugged at this point. She owes nobody anything. And so she's just her sort of authentic self, which comes through fully in this interview. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, her Twitter is really a good follow these days. Like <laughs> She's way... Just firing way. shots, dude. <laughs> Does not care. Does not owe anyone anything. Well, it's like, it's, it's one of the things I really enjoy about podcasting is like it it is you know pretty unfiltered medium and it's the reason why you know a lot of journalists uh in the media you know don't like the the format i feel like it's a little bit of jealousy right because they got editors they got producers and stuff like that but now a person like megan kelly can like let it all hang out and say whatever she wants which is like it's a freeing thing to do yeah no i know i mean she's been surrounded for her entire professional career by people who are trying to make her inoffensive to everyone right and now she's like the hell with it, which <laughs> frankly, we're experts at offensive here on Ruthless. And so where else to come, right? Yeah, and like she gets constantly attacked by like left wing mainstream journals. They oh. constantly try to go after her and she just fires back. It's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, she was trending on Twitter all week this week for her take on the Royals, which we get in an unfiltered way. Uh, so look forward to that. Yeah. We also have, uh, in addition a very big week in where we are reannouncing the liberal hack tournament it's gonna be big it's back it's here for march madness uh there's a lot planned you want to go so we have the planning phase down for the rollout because this is a big deal yeah official theme song uh we're going to have it's not going to be just uh you know one medium this year we're gonna have an announcement on here on the variety program we're gonna have a clubhouse where we announce some seeds 
And then you're going to get the whole shebang on the show and the votes. Yeah. So, I mean, we've really actually enjoyed the fact that the minions have taken upon themselves to set up clubhouse discussions about Ruthless and we've tried to join them on occasions. So like this for us is the, is the payoff for all the incredible uh, friends of the program who've been on clubhouse. We'll give you, you know, at least the first seeds of the tournament free of charge, right up, right up on front. So, so just for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Liberal Hack Tournament yeah, thank you. and how it was done last year, um, you want to run through what that is. It's obviously like a March Madness bracket, but how does that work exactly, Smug? Sure. So essentially, I mean, I, what I don't need to let the folks know is that our media is dominated by liberal hacks. Uh, you know, these are people, many of whom have serious brainworm issues, bad takes, <laughs> obviously biased just dropped the most hack garbage day in day out and it's time they were called out so i took it upon myself we are uh organized a march madness style bracket where folks voted on twitter you know we pitted every seed against each other march madness style and eventually we ended up with stelter at the top the question is can he repeat because i mean like he's very maintained his his liberal hackishness but there have been I mean, over the past year, there have been some real hacks making a run for it. Listen, the potato did his <laughs> best to guarantee a top seating with that picture they tweeted out the other day. My God. <laughs> Yikes. But as, we, as we've discussed previously on the program, it's like, who's going to get hot, right? Like, yeah. you know, who's, who's dropping fire takes while the tournament is going on? You know, I mean, obviously, you've got to look at the whole body of work of yeah. these these people but um you know if you're dropping hot fire during a matchup you know you get that momentum it's just like the tournaments like you're raining threes you know yeah no anybody can get hot at any particular time and so we're going to set it up and we're going to do a very very uh well it's going to be entertaining let's just put it that way <laughs> it's going to be entertaining so let's get on to the topics at hand shall we fellas um the first thing that it would be impossible to ignore this week is how the White House press secretary, basically anybody involved in the administration, doesn't want to talk about what's happening on the southern border, right? I mean, they spent four years claiming that President Trump and Republicans were making up a crisis at the border. Lo and behold, President Biden is elected. He declares no problem at the border. Come on in. And you got a genuine crisis at the border. You can't call it a crisis. It's, it's not a crisis. Yeah. It's a significant overcapacitying of facilities now under non-COVID restrictions to pack more children into jail-like facilities. Accommodation. Don't call it a crisis. I mean, if you watch one of these press conferences, it is nothing short of hilarious how these people twist themselves into knots to attempt to either portray it as nothing or is it, it's a little, cha- it's a challenge. I've heard that a hundred times. Well, it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, and the way that the media is trying to run cover is, is so absurd. Like uh, there was this tweet from Peter Baker at the New York times on March 9th, where he said the number of migrant children in custody along the border has tripled in the past two weeks to more than 3,250. And many of them are being held in jail like facilities. For longer than the three days allowed by law. Jail-like facilities. Number one, do they, they can't say the cage word. Number two, do they think jail-like facilities sounds better? 
<laughs> I will say, Peter sort of tells it like it is on this stuff. I, my experience, he's been around a long time. When a Democrat is in the White House, Democrats hate this guy. And when a Republican is in the White House, Republicans hate this guy. And you're going to see a lot more of, I mean, it's jail-like. He's right. That's what it is. They're jail-like facilities. And, <laughs> and the thing is that, I mean, he gave the numbers straight up. Tripled in the past two weeks. It's tripled in the past two weeks, and this administration won't call it a crisis. No, no. The, uh, um, the, the Department of Homeland Security, this is according to the, the Fox, Fox News put up a story. The Department of Homeland Security is urging its staff to volunteer to help with what it admits are overwhelming numbers. Oh, volunteer. Yes. Volunteer. Oh, that's nice. Listen, it's overwhelming numbers, but please, folks, do not call this a crisis. No, no, no. And it's, it's more like a Salvation Army type operation. <laughs> Heaven forbid, where do I get my bell? Let's go, to the, let's go to the border. The thing I always go back to on this is, like, obviously, it's a humanitarian crisis that's unfolding at the southern border. Um, the issue is, is real. Well, it's also very difficult to solve. And, you know, during the Trump administration, um, the media and, you know, people like AOC were super comfortable calling these things concentration camps yep. um, and saying that, you know, this was, this was basically a crime against humanity. Um, now it's a little more complicated. Well, and it, it also turns out that when you run a campaign that basically is like an advertisement for illegal immigrants that there's going to be a, like Marriott accommodations when you come across the border, people listen to that, right? I want to say that is such a major point and something that the media should maybe think about. Why is it that you see these photos from these migrant camps of all these migrant folks wearing Biden-Harris shirts saying, please let us in and taking a knee? They've figured out the way the media works. They were sent the message. They were it was transmitted to them all of last year that, hey, Biden says the border is open. And now they respond in kind to the way that the media had been messaging to them. They're responding with the same kind of imagery they were given. The fact that you have, like the, the photos that the New York Times puts up, uh, there's over like 50 to 100 migrants wearing these, the same Biden-Harris let us in shirt with the campaign logo and everything setting up this photo op because they know the power of that message they're just giving back what they've been given That's so right. when you send the message and the media carries it for them that okay we have to elect this person and the problem is solved hey don't be surprised when they showed up expecting you know what was promised to them that's right it sort of reminds me it sort of reminds me of during the obama administration when the threat like of ISIS was coming up and foreign policy. Obviously, that's different than an immigration issue. But, you know, Democrats and, and Obama in that instance, you know, typically sort of underplay all of these crises as they develop. There's that famous line that he used against about ISIS where he said it's the JV team. Right. Yeah. And it's like, how does the media let these Democrats get away with sort of like hiding their, their crises as they're like unfolding in front of us? It's, it's incredible. And I also think that the misplaced concern about things is just remarkable. I mean, we've spent the last six, eight months, and really the last month in particular, watching the media harangue away at Republican governors who've decided to open their states back up, right? And, and decided that like mandates for small businesses are, are, we're now at the back end of that, right? And we're putting such 
a desperate pressure on people and this is going to be the end of civilization as we know it. Meanwhile, you're welcoming in hordes of illegal immigrants. And I got to be honest with you, they didn't get the Johnson and Johnson shop before they took off by foot for the last 1500 miles, right? I mean, yeah. if you're seriously concerned about COVID and the spread of a pandemic, seems to me like the immigration issue you would take more seriously. And, and that's the thing is, you know, so much of the, the, the Biden platform that the media pushed of he's going to show up He's going to wave a wand and it's going to be just, you know, fairy tale, wonderful, problem solved. And every one of his campaign promises, he's already lied. It's already not going to happen. That this crisis, and it is a crisis, folks, is far worse than we could have imagined. The number has tripled in the past two weeks, far worse than what anyone could have thought. Clearly, far worse than they had planned for. And the media had been carrying water for this. These folks got the message. They showed up because they were told to show up. And now this administration is not only refusing to acknowledge the problem, they're hoping that the media can once again run cover for them. Don't call it a cage, even though we're going to be uh, going back on everything we said about following the science. We're going to pack these kids in as many as we can in these cages. Yeah. And and there's also, there's also this, this way of sort of diffusing responsibility over what's happening at the border. Um, there was, you know, a press conference with, with Jen Psaki the other day um, where a reporter asked, you know, the number of migrants detained has tripled. Is that accurate? And Psaki said, uh, those numbers are tracked by DHS. I'm just suggesting you talk to them. And the reporter's like, well, we, you know, we, we, we tried to talk to them. They won't confirm the numbers. And Jen Psaki's like, well, ask them again. It's not our program. And it's <laughs> like, you run the fucking government. You run the, it is your program. You, you are running the administration. Are you in the White House? What she does want to talk about is she says everyone should get excited because the Bidens are going to be adopting a cat and the internet will go crazy. That's what she'll talk about. She won't confirm numbers at the crisis, which is happening at the border, but she wants to talk about the cat. They've not done terrifically with pets. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, let's just be, maybe, maybe hold off on the pets. You know, let's try a goldfish. Uh, Work uh, our way up to a hamster. <laughs> and if, 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 if Biden's really responsible, then we can have that discussion about a cat. But I don't think he's there yet. <laughs> well, that's a good transition about Biden's responsibility, because the other thing that would be very, very difficult to ignore is the fact that they can't put this guy out in public. Right? Yes. He can't do press conferences. Um, it was a very uncomfortable moment on Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday where they, they have Biden wandering around inside a hardware store talking about like small businesses during COVID or something. And at some point of this out to me is if you watch the video, Biden is incapable of like walking and talking at the same time. He has to like stop one function before he can begin the other. And then when reporters, uh, there's a reporter who started asking questions about, hey, what's happening with the crisis at the border? Biden's handler shoos the reporter away. Yeah, I it saw that. amazing. But, but look, even, even before that, because the White House is sensitive at this point. Everyone in the English-speaking world knows that he's not held a press conference, and everybody suspects why, right? Because it mm. would be just an absolute catastrophe. So they're putting pressure on them and they're trying to put him out there as much as possible without putting him in a situation where he actually has to answer any questions. 
So on Monday night, they put him out, and I just, I'm not even going to give any, you just listen to this. I thank you both, and I want to thank the, the uh, former general, I keep calling him general, but my, my, uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there, uh, I want to make sure we thank the secretary for all he's done to try to implement what we just talked about. I mean, huh. what? <laughs> wow. So I, I mean, want to talk about the uh, former general who I called the general, who's the I mean, secretary of that thing over there. End of sentence. Did he, forget, <laughs> did he forget the name of the Pentagon? I don't know what he was even referring to. The guy right? who runs the geometric shape over there. <laughs> <laughs> the guy from the building that we all know. He's the, talking uh, about his, his secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, who was just confirmed a few weeks back. This is not somebody you should be forgetting. He's your secretary of defense. And you're right. It wasn't just the secretary. It was the outfit that he didn't know. And the outfit happens to be the largest office building in the world called the Pentagon. Stunning. You know, saying the, the guy I call the general who was a general, who's the secretary of that thing over there is a very long way of saying, help, help people. Make them stop. Why do they make me go out and do these things? I mean, look, I, I have some sympathy for this. This is not, you know, clearly something's going on. I don't know what's going on, but something's going on. And when you have crisis at the border, when you have issues with Iran, with China, everybody's watching this, right? That, that performance right there, doesn't give you a lot of confidence. And, and mind you, mind you, the media and, you know, a lot of the liberals on Twitter, when Donald Trump was president, you know, were constantly, you know, sort of insinuating he had some sort of neurological event, um, that he'd had some sort of stroke and all yeah. of this sort of craziness. I mean, you remember, like, you had psychiatrists on national television talking about, oh, yeah. well, you know, we can't, we, we can't diagnose the president, we, you know, but... If we were, these are the things we would say is wrong yeah. with him, right? And now we have a president who, like, can't remember the name of the building, um, doesn't know his own secretary of defense by, by, by name and title, um, and we're all just supposed to be like, ah, that's just old Uncle Joe. That it's a like, verbal stumble. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, so imagine he's sitting down at a meeting with Xi, and they're discussing, okay, uh, so Xi is invaded Hong Kong. He's done a cover-up to hide the origins of COVID, and then she's like, "Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seize more control in the South China Sea." And then Joe's gonna be like, "I have to uh, discuss uh, this with." Uh, I, I gotta, call him the general. He's the, he's actually a former general of a. At this point, she's like on the phone sending the troops. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I'll give him a good. I'll give him a good. Come on, man. And Invade Alaska. It's over. <laughs> we got this guy. It's incredible, and, and, and nobody seems to be concerned, and nobody wants to talk about it. No one wants to talk about it. I mean, the they are kind of talking about it, though. Holmes, they are kind of talking about it in a roundabout way. If, if, if maybe you've noticed this, um, you know, Max Boot, a, 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 oh, a competitor. A, a competitor, <laughs> a, 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 a never-Trumper who, you know, I'm actually surprised he hasn't been dominant in our King of the Hill game because he really does have a lot of fire brainworm takes but he put up uh, a piece uh, an opinion piece in, in the washington post um on march 9th 
you know, which is a very long wind up on, on International Women's Day and celebrating uh, women and, and, and naming a, a lot of, um, you know, women leaders uh, in politics. But the real turn here in this piece is that, and I'll just, I'll just quote from it here. Um, oh gosh, it's so good. He, and the windup is so long. Um, <laughs> saying, of course, now that he has finally attained the presidency, Biden, that is, on his third try, Biden may not want to give it up, but it's imperative, and this, this is the important part, it's imperative that Harris acquire the stature and experience not only to win the next race, but also to govern effectively. Oh, um, now. So, so, so they're already sort of pushing old man Biden aside. Let's get some more spotlight on Kamala Harris. She needs to be prepared from day one. And if you notice, the White House is sensitive to this too, for obvious reasons. They've had they've kept a very low profile for Kamala Harris, and what is filling that void is the Chief of Staff Ron Klain, who might as well be a paid. MSNBC contributor. I mean, the guy's on there like every hour. It's incredible. Remember, he's the only one that wanted near attended to. I mean, this guy's not, he's not, <laughs> not hitting it out of the park in his first six weeks, but he's, he's on TV more than Wolf Blitzer. I mean, it's just completely ridiculous. <laughs> Here's the thing is, so it's, it's essentially like weekend at Biden's. Everyone kind of knows the guy's just like shambling around. <laughs> Kamala Harris couldn't crack what, like one person. She dropped out before iowa but she was the most she had more liberal voting record in the senate that that, than bernie did yeah she was the liberal senator from california and they're like you know what if we can't elect her let's just put her on a ticket with the guy who i don't know if he's gonna he's gonna be there all the way this may work out it was just like a trojan horse she 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 called joe biden a racist and he made her his vice president. <laughs> He's like, yeah, the no. woman who uh, I uh, call her senator, she was a senator, uh, called me a racist. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and I, I mean, oh, I have a sensitivity to this because I, I mean, I've watched, I've watched people grow old and, you know, when you hang out in the Senate, look, that happens and you watch people lose their fastball and it sucks. But it's reality that I think everybody's going to have to deal with because this is not getting better anytime soon. So with that, I think on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. So don't worry, everybody. You've got a ghost government going on. <laughs> In other news, uh, we have Megan Kelly. Let's get right to the interview. I want to welcome to the program a huge star, somebody that we have been following for years and are huge fans of Megan Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Of course. And I got to tell you, listening to the Megyn Kelly show, which you were the host of, is just so wonderful. If you haven't subscribed uh, on that podcast and wherever you get your podcast, the Megyn Kelly show, you ought to because it is just so authentically you uh, carrying water for no one uh, doing exactly what it is that you were meant to do. I just love every second of it. You know, thank you for saying that. It's been wonderful to be unleashed, you know? Like at Fox, I definitely, my political sensibilities are more in line with the Fox News approach than with the NBC approach, but I understood what was wanted from me, you know, what they wanted and, right. and how far I could push it. And at NBC, even more so the opposite direction, right? And, right. and I, was, 
I was up against that, even though I told them before I went over there, I said, just in case you think you're hiring a closet liberal who's just waiting to shed my conservative <laughs> fake skin and, and let my inner liberal fly, you're not. I'm not. I'm going to be the same me I've ever been. And then they said that they said that they wanted that. Right. Anyway, so it's just nice to just, I don't know, just let it all hang out. This is me. Like, you might hate me. You might love me. But the podcast is doing well, so I have enough lovers that it's successful. And geez, what more could you ask for? I'm good. Exactly. Well, you, you have to prove yourself to no one at this stage in your career. I remember the first time I, I remember watching you, I was working on Supreme Court uh, confirmations and you were doing for Fox, the reporter uh, stuff out there. And I thought, man, she's going to be a huge star. Sure oh. enough, in a blink of an eye. Well, that's amazing. You saw, you thought that because I was quite horrible in my early years when I was <laughs> high court. So Nonsense. you really could spot the diamond in the rough. <laughs> Nonsense. Um, but you know what? Let's start, let's start with the current events because I woke up on Monday morning. I was one of the 17 million Americans who watched the Royals and I'm not a, like a Royal observer, but I figured it's a cultural event. What the heck? And I, I woke up Monday morning cycling through my Twitter feed to see your interview with Good Morning Britain, which again, I just love the fact that you're doing this stuff. And uh, I'm bobbleheaded nodding along with basically everything you're saying is you're just sort of eviscerating this approach. And if I can cut to the kind of the, my takeaway is that you, they're just inauthentic. It was just an incredibly inauthentic performance by Meghan and Harry on Sunday night with Oprah. And, and you were there to just call it out. And, and I mean, I, I, I loved every second of it. And the reaction was swift. What did you make of all that? They were, they were authentically pathetic. I mean, yeah. that, that was true. There's no question that Meghan Markle took some liberties with the facts in that interview. I mean, no one believes that she didn't Google Prince Harry when she was dating him. That's the biggest whopper of them all. And no one believes that she thought meeting the queen was gonna be like meeting some rando Hollywood celebrity because she's from Hollywood, she's from LA. Bull, that was another lie. And no one believes that they only watched a little bit of The Crown. They watched the whole thing, start to finish, together with the popcorn, that was obvious. You could tell that they felt uncomfortable when they had stumbled onto that truth and uh, had revealed more than they wanted to. Okay, so all of that, I think, showed that this might not be the most honest and forthcoming right. couple in, in their approach. Um, but the thing that really just drove me nuts about the whole thing was just how incredibly privileged this couple is and still, still they're victims at right. every turn. At, and it wasn't, look, it wasn't that she was complaining about deep mental health issues. I get that. I understand that. Trust me, that's, that's dark. And I, my heart goes out to her on how, how bad it got for her. But that doesn't excuse her trying to portray going to Australia on a royal tour and having her every whim taken care of as hard work because she had to smile. <laughs> I mean, please. Or Prince Harry talking about how, you know, he, now they cut off security. When I moved to Canada, I quit. And I quit. By the way, if you quit your job, guess what happens? They don't pay you anymore, Josh. That's and right. It's, it's a funny thing that. how that works. Yeah, when you quit, the, the money stops. So he quit and he thought his money should have kept going. And he was like, no security. What was I supposed to do? All I had was my mother's inheritance. So his mother was a princess and right. left him, as far as I can tell from the public news reports, between 15 and $25 million. <laughs> so I think a man who never had to pay for a single dime of his own life prior to turning 36 years old and getting married could probably find a way to hire a security guard with that money. So spare me. Totally, right? It was just, it, for me, it was just so jarring how disconnected from everyday life it was and that there was no effort made to sort of conceal that. 
right? It was like oh most people would be embarrassed by, by making the case that they were making. Yes. And like to talk about the royal tour, like that was hard work. And, and like him saying, I'm trapped, I'm trapped. You're trapped in the royal family where the British taxpayers have paid for everything your entire life and you live in a castle. You're, are you <laughs> like, so let me tell you, Harry and Meghan, we're, we're at the tail end of a year in which we've lost a million people thanks to COVID here in the States, 500,000. And we have frontline workers who have been immersed in dead bodies in hospitals 24 seven, not complaining. Right. I don't want to hear about how hard it was to smile. Shut up, Right. take your money, go away gracefully. It's fine if they want to shine a light on some of the issues that they want to shine a light on, but don't go out there and play the victim at every turn about every aspect of your life. And I'll just say one other thing, the thing I most wanted to hear, the thing that would have made me forgive a lot of what I've just said, was this, you know what? It's been somewhat of a rough haul, rougher than we expected, but we're good. We are so lucky and we're so grateful to the British taxpayers, to the American public, which has been totally in, enamored with us and beloving towards us. And you know, we're delighted to be living in this country where we're gonna raise our son and delighted to be surrounded by our fellow Americans again. And God bless, you know, and God bless the people who've served both of our countries so nobly over the past year. Peace out. Oh. That would have been a breath of fresh air. Just, just a moment of appreciation for anything would have gone They're not on. feeling it. They didn't say it because they're not feeling it. They're totally focused on themselves. Yeah, but one of the things that I was, I was kind of conflicted about, and I don't know if this is a generational issue or if it's just unique to this couple or, or what, but they were obsessive about tabloid coverage and the media coverage of them and their ability to or inability to fight back. And basically what they said was that the crown refused to allow them to, to fight back in any possible way. And I thought, okay, but didn't you kind of know you were getting into that when the whole world showed up for your wedding? Mm -hmm. well, first of all, it's not true that they didn't fight back because I remember reading a, I think it was, God, it was a People magazine, it was a Vogue, but all of her friends came forward and offered this long thing about what a good person she is. And it was attempt at character rehabilitation. She had her ways of getting her message into the press. So I do not believe her when she now says she didn't get to fight at all. She did get to fight. And secondly, I understand that the press is nasty and maybe the palace could have interfered a little and said, you know, back off, you know, because they do have somewhat of a relationship with the tabloids. But even the palace cannot control the tabloids in Great Britain. No, that's and, right. 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 Like, there's a limit to what they can do. I mean, look, Josh, I'll, I'll tell you, when I was at NBC, I was getting hammered in the press. It was ugly. My God. Not to mention back, you know, when Trump was coming after me and like he would control conservative media, they'd come after me. Then I was at NBC and it was, it was more liberal media. It didn't feel good. <laughs> I really wanted somebody to defend me. I would have, would have loved that. But what you learn when you grow up and you become a big girl is the press is going to write what it's going to write. That's what journalists do. And you can't win those battles. You really can't. You have to suck it up, put your shoulders back, put your head up and forge forward and understand that the people who want to believe negative things about you are going to believe them no matter what you say. And the people who don't want to believe those things require no explanation from you. Oh, perfectly said. And I, I think exactly articulated the point that, that we've been trying to make on this show. I mean, it's just exactly. Let me switch gears for a minute because our, our mutual friend, 
who we had on our program last week, and I think you had uh, in the last couple of episodes, Janice Dean. Yeah. Just a wonderful human being. I know a very good friend of yours. Um, is immersed in a very real fight in New York with Governor Cuomo and is doing the Lord's work to tr shine a light on the uh, policy prescriptions that this gentleman put into place uh, with regards to nursing homes and it had a real, very real impact on her family. You know, it's, she's doing real damage and, and God bless her. She's, she's raising this to light. What do you, where do you think this all heads from here? I love Janice. I, I joke with her privately that, you know, her, her first book, she's got a book out now called Make Your Own Sunshine. You know, she's a meteorologist. Right. And the first book she wrote was called um, Mostly Sunny. Right. And I joked with her that she's like the meteorologist and she's so positive and she's like mostly sunny and then cut to the scene in Psycho with a knife like mm, mm, mm. <laughs> totally I sent her the little emoji of like the knife just stabbing air and uh <laughs> chance for thunderstorms <laughs> but, but not totally sunny not, not always <laughs> but god bless her because she's been fighting this battle by herself ron kim the Democratic legislator here in New York State, he's been helping, but in the media, no one. No one gave this story the time of day. And when she tried to, she was mocked. She was diminished by people like Soledad O'Brien, who were like, ugh, the meteorologist weighs in. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, then, and then calling her weather girl. And right. I mean, just sexist, demeaning, completely. And, and then when, when people started to defend Janice, back on Soledad, she was like, Ugh, why are all these Karens adding me, Ugh. right? Of course, you got to be a racist if you defend Janice against Soledad's diminishing attack, right? Uh, I, I can't even follow it anymore. But Janice kept plugging forward. She just, she was like a dog with a bone. She yeah. was not going to be discouraged by Cuomo's spokespeople who diminished her as not credible in anything but the weather. Soledad, Ben Stiller, all the many people who were taking shots at her. And she was right. She was right about everything. Right from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. And it's amazing to see, you know, it's like everything she said about him was true. She said he's hiding the numbers of deaths in the nursing homes. 100% true, confirmed by the Democratic Attorney General of New York. She said he's hiding the number that they shipped off to hospitals who died there. 100% true. She said he issued that order. At first, there was even pushback on that. Of course, he issued the order. We all know that now to send COVID, pos COVID positive patients into the nursing homes. And, and it goes on. I mean, I could keep going. But yeah. all along, no one's wanted to cover the story. And now you've got people like coming out and saying, oh, you know, he's bad. He's bad. Oh, we've been covering the story since February. <laughs> February 2021, Josh. Like, <laughs> Okay, Johnny, come up. lately. Thanks for showing up. Right. You, you weren't exactly instrumental in breaking anything. Exactly. No, she, dr she drug everybody kicking and screaming to the light on this. And now, you know, of course, the, the reaction, because she's shown such incredible leadership here over a period of months, is people want her to get involved in politics. I know. I keep, I, I keep ending my tweets with hashtag run, Janice, run. Yeah. She, I don't think she's going to do it, Josh. She, t she said on my podcast last week, no, I think the only way she's going to consider it is if Cuomo runs again. Yeah. And so I'm kind of rooting for him not to go down and for him to run again. Is that 
<laughs> I'd like to see. She's going to drag you into it, Megan. You, you two are going to have to take over New York politics. I will, in my spare time, be her communications director. There you go. I will be the psycho with the knife if anybody tries to attack her. That's good. That's a good role. I've played that role before. It's a tough role, but it's a good role. <laughs> well, now there, it's like, I think Janice feels conflicted and I understand why, because what's really gotten the press interested in him is not the yeah. 15,000 dead senior citizens, right? In these nursing homes. It's the Me Too allegations, yeah. which are also not good. Trust me, I see that. Now there's a sixth woman coming forward yeah. alleging um, a Me Too situation with the Albany Times Union, my home paper and hometown. And um, I think Janice feels confused as to why 15,000 dead seniors didn't yes. garner any interest, but six women claiming he laid hands on them or kissed them against their will it has people demanding that he resign. So it's like, not to diminish the women's claims, but why didn't anybody care about 15,000 dead people? Yeah, it's sort of an indictment of our culture in a lot of ways of what gets people's attention, what gets the press's attention, because it does seem disproportionate. Right? It's mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I mean, I understand the Democratic lawmakers in New York. They're like, oh, yes, we can get rid of him thanks to the media yeah. stuff, and we won't get swept up in any of that other stuff. Thank yeah, God. Right. Good. Like, off with his head. Yeah, clean, a clean beheading. Totally. They, they're like, I didn't, I didn't kiss anybody as they walked out the door. Um, but <laughs> Although I'm if you've impressed. hung around Albany at all, I'm not sure anybody can make that case. <laughs> there is that. Um, but the press, like, the press seems to be willing to go after him now, A, because they love Me Too stories. They just love anything salacious. And B, I think because Joe Biden's been elected and now we can have bad stories about Democrats in the news. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my guess. I don't know. I don't know either. It's, it's, look, I, I'm so conflicted because I've, I've just watched this story unfold and I've been so irritated over the summer as you're watching him roll out books and sell posters and do all these things. And everybody's sort of celebrating his leadership, trying to juxtapose it with President Trump. And meanwhile, I'm looking at none of the details. You know? Did you see that Amy Rohrbach? Yes. Oh my gosh. It was of her interview of Cuomo. I don't know. It was in the spring sometime after, after it was known that he'd issued this controversial order. It was a total, it was bootlicking. It was, she was begging for a pat on the head. Tell us again, governor, why you're so smart. Just as smart as we think you are. Are you even smarter? It was like watching, it was like watching the Russian journalists. And I use that word in quotes interview Putin, you know, like that's, state, that's literally state TV and, and their press conferences truly are like, you're amazing, aren't you? You are amazing. Go on about how amazing you are. Sir, the microphone's yours. The biggest fault is that you work too hard. I find you're so muscly. <laughs> oh, I know it. I know. Well, here, I got to get to three questions that are very revealing, Megan, and, and our audience here at the Ruthless Variety Program is, uh, they're, they're sort of connoisseurs of these answers. Okay. So, oh, pressure. You have a lot of pressure. This is big stuff. Um, number one, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Mama's Pizza on the Upper West Side. Just regular cheese. So there's oh, nothing like it. like it. Or really any pizza, to be honest with you. But if I had to, if, I, if I'm dying, Mama's, uh, it's on Broadway and 85th. And what a plug. In, a, in a, a slightly dirty martini. Slightly dirty. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Well, that's yeah. the script. I feel like you've given that thought. Well, 
one never knows what could happen to me. <laughs> I've, done, I've committed a lot of crime, Josh. I don't. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Plan ahead. Fair enough. All right. So if you weren't doing this, if you weren't host of the Megyn Kelly show, if you weren't the spectacular journalist uh, over the last 15, 20 years, what, what would you be doing with your life? Hmm. Well, I've always said that the job I most would like to do, if I could do anything, was to be the, the lady from Publishers Clearinghouse who knocks on your door and gives you oh, the big check, you know, tells you that you job. won a lottery. Yeah. But I'm not sure that would be full-time work, so it's, <laughs> it probably wouldn't keep me, like, busy enough. Uh, I'll, I'll go with this one. I actually really kind of like teaching. Oh. I like, I like condensing large amounts of information into small digestible bits and seeing the, the light bulb come on. So if I could teach at like a university that didn't have any other professors or any woke students, oh. <laughs> I, I'd go do that. We, we could do a whole nother show on, and I know how outspoken you've been about the woke cancel culture, but I mean, particularly at universities. L listen, I'm all for Megyn Kelly taking over the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> right, because we need more than like Liberty and Hillsdale on our side, you know? Seriously. Like, I just, there's not a single option. There used to be University of Chicago, even they've gone woke. I've got a few years before my oldest gets to that age, but I don't know. I hope by then we have a meaningful alternative that is considered legitimate in the eyes of the hiring world because- Oh, totally. You know, I want I, to live like this. I, and I've got two young sons and I look around by the time they get to college, what am I going to expect? You know, I mean, it's I, actually at this point, I don't even feel like I'm, I'm looking for a conservative alternative. I'm looking for something that's not going to fire too. them out just based on their race and gender. Me too. Exactly. The way it used to be. I mean, when I went to Syracuse from, it was 88 to 92, back in the dark ages, they didn't do this crap. They weren't doing this. Like, it was a normal university. There, like, there was an element of it in places on campus, but I don't remember any of this nonsense. And no. somehow we've just gone down the rabbit hole. I know it. I know it. Well, we do have to pick up that conversation another time. Here's the third and final question, a very important one. What motivates Megyn Kelly more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Hmm. I would say the thrill of victory, uh, just because I'm generally a glass half full kind of person. You know, I, I do not live my life in fear as I think my behavior has proven. Over no the past. kidding. No right? kidding. I, I, I just don't find that motivational. Um, but if I get to really be honest, I would say my, my true approach is more like just a commitment to, to hard work. Like that's really what motivates me. A desire for excellence, right? Whether it's winning or not. If I, if I do a great job in an interview, if I really prepare and I feel like it's, I sung all the right notes, whether the interview rates are as well, you know, reviewed or downloaded a lot, that's secondary to me. So that would be, that would qualify as joy of victory, but that's not what motivates me. It's, this sort of never-ending pursuit of excellence and every day offers a new opportunity and excellence it, by itself is its own reward. And, you know, like a dog chasing the bumper, like yeah. it always gives you something to do. You always have something to do. That's really interesting. You know, I, and particularly for somebody in your line of work who has to measure, you know, for ratings and everything else over the years that you're able to sort of compartmentalize that and know what your best looks like and take you know away from that what you will that's that's really that's impressive I, i'll be honest with you if i can if i do my best winning follows and if it doesn't i'm in the wrong lane 
So I've got to adjust. I've got to accept that information and find a new lane to apply my best to. And that, that kind of describes my own life these past few years. So I feel like life has a way of correcting you when you're off course. And as long as you're listening and you are committed to not whining and to being a hard worker, good things will follow. I love it. Very well said. Megan Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. You've got to check out our podcast anywhere you get podcasts, The Megan Kelly Show. It's fantastic. Really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks, Josh. It was a pleasure. You bet. Take care. I see ya. So am I right that she just seems like so just her authentic self, you know, she can kind of say and do whatever she wants to do. And that is just so refreshing. It's awesome. Good for her. You know, that freedom definitely suits her. And I love that she brings the fire takes to Twitter. She understands, you know, it's a land of wolves. You're out there to fight and defend yourself. And she gets the medium and, and it was a great interview. And her, her podcast. The thing I'm always, I, I, I'm always impressed by her. Obviously, she's super, super smart. She also just has an incredible command, you know, in, in interviews and stuff. And I mean, obviously, that comes with experience. But like, you know, she doesn't miss a beat. You know, she's always sort of on on top of it. And like you said, totally authentic. Um, now that she can, you know, say what she wants to say, which is just great. Good for yeah. her. Yep. It's a good time for the medium of podcasts to come together. If you haven't checked hers out, you should. You can hear a, a, a Megyn Kelly F-bomb on there, which, you know, look, I tell you, <laughs> it's more powerful. That's great. <laughs> uh anyway thank you all this is fabulous we are gonna we're not done for the week as we said we've got the hack tournament that we're gonna do a little preview of and give you a special episode for uh other so than that, what is the timing for our listeners there on the preview on clubhouse um and and the rollout of the whole tournament i just want to you know i want people to know so they can anticipate yeah so we'll send out an update we'll post one on twitter it's gonna be friday probably friday afternoon and and we'll do the clubhouse preview and then uh you know by sunday we'll have a new pod for you everyone should get hype i'm gonna close this one out great podcast gentlemen so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs we'll see you next week stay ruthless